Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures again with us as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Kingdom of God. We're glad you joined us for another session of Scripture Searching Together. We've been pointing out in previous programs that the center of everything Jesus taught was the Kingdom of God. And that Kingdom of God idea is one that's found throughout the Hebrew Bible, what we perhaps unfortunately call the Old Testament. The Hebrew Bible was that set of scriptures that we now know as the Old Testament which nurtured Jesus as he grew up. The deeper you go into understanding the Old Testament, the closer you come to the heart of Jesus. This is most important because many of us have felt that the Old Testament is somehow obsolete or passé, and yet it's 77% of the whole of our Bible It's essential if we're to grasp the meaning of salvation as offered by Jesus in his kingdom message that we first grasp what is meant by the underlying ideas which are rooted in the Hebrew Bible. Such an idea is the kingdom of God, the idea which pervades the whole scheme of Old Testament prophecy as the prophets look forward to a time coming, a brand new era on earth when the nations would beat their swords into plowshares when universal peace would prevail and when Jerusalem would be exalted to a world center, a world worship center, and the nations would stream up to it, according to Isaiah, the second chapter, to learn God's ways. There's no doubt that that is what the prophets of Israel had in mind, and there's no doubt that Jesus, as himself a prophet, and as one who thoroughly believed in the revelation God had given to the prophets of Israel, also believed with a passion. It was to that coming era of peace and prosperity, that restoration of Edenic paradise on our earth, that Jesus looked forward when he spoke of the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God. He urged his followers to pray, Thy kingdom come. He taught his disciples to put the kingdom of God as the first priority in their life. Matthew 6, verse 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all other things then will be added to us. It's impossible to any candid searcher after the truth of the Bible to avoid the idea that the kingdom of God was the underlying factor in everything that Jesus taught. It was the heart, in fact, of his gospel message of the kingdom, as we see in the accounts of the early ministry of Jesus. In every case, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we learn that Jesus came into Galilee announcing the gospel or good news about the kingdom of God and commanding everyone to believe in that gospel message with a view to being saved when the kingdom of God was established in the future as it will be when Jesus returns to this earth. With that in mind, we were examining the famous parable of the sower or the different kinds of soils. This, according to Mark's version of the parable in Mark 4, was Jesus' primary lesson in how his message would be received. And it's a warning for all of us, because we see from this parable that only one of the four categories examined in the illustration actually bore fruit successfully. The remaining three categories failed in different ways to achieve the goal, which was entrance into the kingdom of God at the return of Jesus Christ. The main point of Jesus' parable of the sower was that there is an essential seed which must initiate the salvation process. A seed, of course, is insignificant in size 
but its potential is enormous. Seeds have within themselves some miraculous power, an inherent vitality. Seeds grow and develop into fruit. So it is with the creative message of Jesus, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Its progress is the subject of Jesus' parable of the sower. Jesus, in this illustration, sowed the seed liberally. Some of it produced fruit for the future harvest in the kingdom of God. Some of it failed. So it is, and so it will continue to be with all preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. The Bible assures us in Isaiah chapter 55 that God's word, God's gospel, or God's message will not be sown in vain. It will achieve the purpose for which God sowed it. It will produce immortals in the coming kingdom of God. It will result in the production of immortal rulers in the coming kingdom. That is, those who respond then with eagerness and persistence to Jesus' gospel message of salvation. There will be a rich harvest to be gathered in, in the future, when the kingdom of God is manifested worldwide. Such is the simple program of salvation that Jesus outlined in this primary parable of the sower and the soils. Now the seed has a vitality in it which produces new life. Here we have the famous biblical idea of rebirth. Many of us know that in John 3, Jesus spoke about being born again. Well, the parable of the sower is complementary to that idea. It shows that the rebirth can occur only when the seed of the message of the gospel of the kingdom is sown in the hearts of the potential convert. Many have not made this connection. We hear much about the passage in John 3 about being born again, but very little about how that rebirth can occur under the influence of the seed or the word described in the parable. To be born again is to respond to the vital life-giving seed of Jesus' own gospel message. It is obvious then that defining the seed properly is the most important thing a Christian can do. It's not any old seed that must lodge in our hearts and minds. It's the seed which the great sower, Jesus, sowed. And that seed is in fact defined for us precisely as the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Matthew 13 and verse 19, we find these words. The seed is the message about the kingdom. It is this seed which initiates the rebirth. No wonder that Jesus in John 3 is reported as saying to a potential convert, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So rebirth is the entrance requirement for the kingdom. And that rebirth is dependent on the reception of the seed about the kingdom in your heart. Compare John 3 then with Jesus' parable of the sower. These are obviously parallel and complementary accounts of the teaching of Jesus of this most basic lesson of all, the way to salvation through believing in Jesus and his message of the kingdom. These are companion passages and should be read in connection with each other. John 3, along with Matthew 13, and the parallels in Mark chapter 4 and Luke 8. Let me remark in passing that the essence of good Bible study is comparing one passage with another. We have to put the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together in the Bible, and by comparing the three versions of the parable of the sower with the complementary passage in John 3, produce a composite picture of how Jesus' great kingdom gospel message 
is received or indeed rejected. Incidentally, that's why the marginal references are so vital to serious Bible study. Read from a modern version of the Bible with good marginal references. The New American Standard Version is as good as any. Not that the older versions are inadequate, but sometimes you lose something of the force of the words of Jesus if they come to you in a language which is long out of date. Jesus, you know, did not use King James English, beautiful as that translation is in many ways. Now, Jesus' message about the kingdom has within itself an innate energy and vitality. It provides the spark of life which causes rebirth to happen in us. This is the secret of being born again. To be born again is not just to accept Christ vaguely. It's to sit at the feet of the master teacher and savior and to hear and understand his message of the kingdom. Jesus gave this wonderful parable of the sower or the soils to give us a model of what evangelism is supposed to be. But have we paid attention to it? Or have we in fact devised our own watered-down agendas and methods as substitutes for Jesus' model of evangelism? You know, we're often experts at methods, but woefully inadequate when it comes to the message we're trying to present as the Christian faith. That's why it's so important to go back and to study Jesus' method and message in evangelism. How did he make converts for the kingdom? That's the message we should use. Certainly methods will vary in different ages and on different occasions, but the message remains absolutely constant, and it must be the message as it came from the lips of Jesus himself. That message is never out of date. Why not measure your own experience with that of Jesus' own preaching? Do you typically, quote, welcome the people and begin talking about the kingdom of God, as Jesus did according to Luke chapter 9, verse 11? How would you respond to Jesus' challenge to the man whom he told to go and announce the kingdom of God everywhere? Luke 9, verse 60. As I look at the three versions of the parable of the sower laid out before me, certain elements strike me as fascinating and challenging. I'm looking in chapter 13 of Matthew and verse 18 where Jesus begins to explain the meaning of this master lesson. And he begins by saying in Matthew 13:19, when anyone hears the word or message about the kingdom. Now that tells us immediately then that the kingdom message is the foundation of this entire exercise in evangelism. In Mark's version, it's called simply the word. And in Luke's version, in Luke 8, it's called in verse 11, the Word of God. Now, there's an excellent example of how passage can be compared with passage. The Word of the Kingdom in Matthew's version is the equivalent of the Word in Mark 4 and the Word of God in Luke 8. Now, that word, Word, occurs no less than 16 times in Jesus' explanation of the parable. The Word is obviously the crucial center and the key to the meaning of this entire story. The word kingdom appears just once, but it's enough to give us the clue and the definition of the meaning of the word word. Matthew 13:19 sets us up then with the principal idea of this whole parable. We're talking about what happens to the message about the kingdom, not just any old message, 
but quite precisely the message or gospel about the kingdom, abbreviated then in Mark's version to simply the message, and in Luke's version to the message of God. So once then, in Matthew 13:19, we have the key to all of the rest of the occurrences of the word word. Once we have the word kingdom, and 16 times we have simply the expression the word or the word of God. Now, it's obvious that Satan is exceedingly interested in what happens to this message because no sooner has it been sown in the heart of the potential convert but Satan is right on the scene ready to snatch away that word so, as Luke reports in Luke 8.12, so that the believer may not receive it and be saved. That's an extraordinary revelation and tells us then what the devil is up to. Jesus here is an intelligence agent drawing back the curtain on Satan's activity. Evidently, the devil realizes that the progress of this message of the kingdom is the one thing that's going to defeat him and so he is constantly active to remove the message of the kingdom from the would-be seeker after salvation so that that person may not believe the message of the kingdom and be saved. Luke 8.12 remains a key then to what is happening in the spiritual realm as preachers put out the message of the kingdom and the devil seeks to oppose it at every point. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to check these verses carefully in your own Bible. Join us again as we continue to probe the most vital questions about life and immortality as Jesus offers it to us in his good news about the kingdom of God.